we have seen in our developments on average a 63% increase on income. Families are also able to generate and hold wealth, save up for bigger things, and they build on additional rooms and just extensions of the home we've built for them as their family grows. And because they don't have to worry about where they're able to sleep, they can focus on different things that help them thrive. So housing is just the foundation. Hey, I'm Stan Stoniker back with another episode of the Hub Culture Chronicles, our regular exploration of people, places, and things in the community, looking at solutions for the future. Joining us today is Mr. Josh Young. He's the chief of staff at New Story Charity, which is a really interesting group and organization that seeks to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. They were founded in 2015 as one of the first nonprofits to go through Y Combinator, which is a really amazing incubator out in Silicon Valley. Today, they have 37 employees and they're building homes around the world in incredibly low cost. So Josh, welcome to the Chronicles. Thanks, Stan. It's an honor to be here with you. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great. Well, I'm glad you're here too. And, you know, we met down in El Salvador recently when El Salvador went through the process of becoming the first country to legally and nationally accept Bitcoin. And I understand that your charity and nonprofit is doing some work in that area around payments for for people with their homes. But before we get into that, let's learn a little bit about the story for, for a new story. How did you guys come about and what are you guys up to? Yeah, absolutely. So we were founded as a nonprofit looking to do things differently in the nonprofit space. So our founder and CEO went down on a mission trip to Haiti uh, and really just had a heart for the work there. Saw people living in tents and what we call survival mode, right? Not having anywhere to sleeping on ground floors, uh, very wet when it rained and wanted to find a charity that he could trust and that was doing things in a high integrity way. And he just couldn't find one. So our original solution was actually to separate our bank account, one bank account for only our operations and then another one entirely for home building. So we have a very generous group of donors, we call the builders, that fund our operations entirely. So everyone else who donates, it, they know and they trust. What, there's 100% transparency, we put it out there, that all of everything they donate goes directly to the construction of homes for those who need help the most. Um, and, and that was our story, original innovation. And the story for New Story is that you guys are building homes at extraordinarily low cost for... Right people in emerging uh, markets or emerging countries. Tell us a little bit about that work. Yeah, and the most important part of that is that we build high quality homes that are built to last for generations, something that families can be proud of to pass down to generations. And the way we're able to do this is because of a process we call our lean participatory design process, where we actually invite every community member of the, all the people we aim to serve, we invite them to 
tell us about their worries, their concerns, their hopes, and their dreams. And this enables us to construct communities that actually are what they want and what they need, and they're the houses that they can be proud of, full with dignity. And we never sacrifice quality for the type of home. And we're focused on lowering the cost of construction, increasing the speed it takes to construct homes, and all while maintaining or even increasing the quality of home building. So to do that, we need to look at housing in a different way. We found in our work that housing and construction is one of the least innovative sectors, uh, only second only to farming and agriculture is the only less digitized sector in the world. Um, so there's a huge, huge market there, yet very unexplored to this point. So our idea is to bring innovation to the housing sector in general, uh, do it in Latin America, where we can help for-profit companies prove that their work works. Uh, and then in that way, other social enterprises, nonprofits, for-profits even, can do that work around the world. And hopefully we can get lower the total number of global homelessness because Currently, there's 1.6 billion people in the world that live homeless today. And the UN projects that number to grow to 3 billion by 2030. So not only is the problem ginormous, but it's continuing to grow. So current solutions aren't keeping up, which is why we take risks on new innovation to try to make that process uh, faster and reaching those in need. So how much does it cost to build one of these homes in the communities that you're working in and where are you doing this? Yeah, so currently we're focused in Latin America. The homes we build range a little bit depending on the area. We build in Haiti, El Salvador, and Mexico primarily. And we have brought the cost of these homes down from a significant amount to some we're building for $6,000 and all while maintaining the quality of the home. So we're projecting so you can build a home for $6,000 and um, clearly a home needs land. So yep. there must be a process by which you guys are acquiring or getting access to land to build these homes. How many homes have you built in this way and how are you getting access to the land? Yeah. So we have built nearly 3000 homes to this date. Um, historically, we have received government granted land in Mexico and Haiti and El Salvador. But as we scale, we are gonna start also doing two other things, which is privately acquiring more land, um, so paying for it, and then also building on land that families already home, but have a makeshift shelter on, on their land that's like ground, dirt floors, um, often tarp tents, um, being used as walls, just unsafe and unsecure, something that we in America likely wouldn't even call a home. So we will use people's land that they already have, as well as acquire land by paying for it, and then government-granted land uh, when the opportunity arises as well. So you guys are working with like local governments or national governments to kind of secure these types of land. I know that in the process, in the places that we saw with you, yep. there are some conditions that you guys look at for ideal places to make these communities more sustainable. 
and one of them is actually being close to urban centers. So I'm wondering yes. if you want to go into that process a little bit and how do you select the locations? Absolutely. So oftentimes the government will try to make, so I'll just share an example of why we're enacting solutions in this way. Um, the Mexican government back in the early 2000s had an initiative to construct 2 million uh, affordable homes. Um, there's three ways. They, they focused on making it as cheap and as quickly as possible. And there's really three ways you can do this. Um, you can decrease the size of the home. You can decrease the quality of the materials and you can build on land that nobody wants to live in. So the government of Mexico chose to do all three. Um, they built homes that were too small for families to live in. They were built of poor materials um, that began to deteriorate as soon as families moved in really. And then they built on land way outside of the cities where nobody wanted to live in. Now, almost uh, over 500 thousand homes. So half a million homes are broken down and abandoned in Mexico from this initiative. They did construct 2 million homes, but they were poorly, poorly, the initiative just poorly executed. Families, one, couldn't live in the homes because they still needed to work. The schools were still in the cities. So ultimately they had to go back to where they were um, after having to pay for this house, sold on empty promises, really. And uh, I want a quote from one of my friends who lives in Mexico City and he works at New Story. He said, uh, every abandoned home is a graveyard of families, hopes and dreams. And that really stuck with me because they promised these families so much and delivered on mostly nothing. So we make sure that's part of our design process is to make sure families want and we build homes that they need in areas that they need. So we will never accept government granted land that's too far outside of where they currently live. We only build on areas where the life cycle is sustainable. So it's we're not just building homes for a quota. We're actually trying to fulfill a family's hopes and dreams and building homes and communities that families can thrive in and then be proud of and pass it down to their children and even their children's children. And that, that brings so us Josh, joy. That, that brings up a question as well about environmental impact and how are you guys working to make sure that the homes you're building are not just what you might say socially sustainable, but also, you know, kind of environmentally sustainable. Yeah. So, in each of our communities, we're testing out new innovations with our home building process. It's part of our, well, it is our mission to test different innovations. So in some cases we have uh, what, what are called cool roofs, um, which use roofs as solar panels. Um, we use EcoBlock home building. So mostly a concrete mix, but they're compressed real tight in with uh, other sustainable materials using mud and things like that, uh, and then held together with rebar. And so there's a lot of different innovations at New Story that use sustainable building practices for sure. 
And, you know, you mentioned a minute ago, or at the beginning of the, the episode, we talked about the fact that this is a nonprofit, one of the first nonprofits to originate out of Y Combinator. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of that and how then technology is being used as a core tenant of the operational thesis of New Story? Because it's not just low-income construction. Correct. Yeah. So why Combinator being the backbone of how our organization got started really made innovation and technology a part of our DNA. So we were there with uh, like some of the household names, Airbnb graduated from Y Combinator, Coinbase even was a Y Combinator back company. Um, we were surrounded by so many entrepreneurs that were doing things differently, right? And as a nonprofit, we also were pushed to do things differently, even though we, were, we weren't held to any less of a standard just because we were a nonprofit. So we have a value, a humble pursuit of excellence that uh, we really live by. And technology, we use technology to bring innovation to those who need it the most when typically those who need help the most rarely see innovation, definitely not first. So one story is we went viral a few years ago for doing the world's first 3D printed community. We went down to Nacajuca, Mexico, partnered with a for-profit called Icon, uh, where we were one of their initial investors. We helped them raise money and then use them in our communities to help them with a go-to-market strategy, prove that 3D printing homes is real and can be affordable and done at a high quality. So we built those homes based on US building codes and we made a successful community. Uh, families are nearly ready to move in to them now. And now Icon is also doing affordable housing in their headquarters area, Austin, Texas. And as a for-profit, they've been very successful since our partnership um, actually just secured a contract to build dwelling units on Mars, which is super exciting. We're really proud. But the idea is that we help companies prove innovation, prove their within the construction life cycle that their products work. And then other social enterprises, for-profits, nonprofits, governments, all together will be more motivated to do affordable housing work and basically just help spread through the rest of the globe and you know even beyond on Mars but our our mission is affordable housing for for those who need it the most so Josh I'm curious you know the issue of affordable housing is not just a low income country issue yeah. in the united Correct. states there are many people who today are homeless there are many people who are living in below adequate housing and mm -hmm. for many young people you know, all the way through even the middle class, the ability to obtain and own a home is becoming out of reach. And because you guys are working so deeply in these issues of affordable housing, I wonder what your thoughts are about some solutions that could be deployed within a place like the United States 
what do you think are the biggest obstacles to affordable housing in America? Is, is it the profit motive? Is it other things? And how do we work on solving it? Do you guys have any insights from your experience? Yeah, there, there are a combination of factors that make housing unaccessible by people who live in the U.S., some of which were focused on the construction life cycle uh, and making housing more affordable, increasing the speed of construction and uh, maintaining the quality of home building while doing it. And to that front, our work can be replicated in the U.S. Um, and that's been proven by ICON doing work with us in Mexico and then taking their learnings, uh, being able to raise much more money and become a profitable company in the U.S. and then doing affordable housing units on top of their for-profit work in Austin, Texas. And then eventually as research and development uh, becomes cheaper, they'll do it in a, other governments, other municipal governments will hop on board as well. There are certainly other factors beyond the construction life cycle that also go into homelessness in America. I mean, there are obviously psychological things, there are work things. So the, the focus of our work is just one aspect of what leaves people homeless and that we can do proving um, in places that it's cheaper to do so. That's part of the reason we focus on Latin American countries. We can get through government rep red tape faster. We can do it at a tenth of a cost for the same quality. And there's plenty of people around the world in need of these solutions. 1.6 billion in Mexico, there's over 20 million. In El Salvador, over 30% of the country lives in inadequate shelter. So there's definitely not a lack of need. And U.S. is also in that need category. Just we think that Josh, we can be the best in the world at yeah. doing this in Latin America. So that's where we're focusing. But where do you see the biggest obstacles are or the biggest challenges to being able to scale this? It seems to me like private ownership of land means that most people are going to want to maximize the profitability of the land. And you see that in development generally. Mm -hmm. Also, we need to conserve land for nature wherever Absolutely. possible because we're, we're destroying nature at an unprecedented rate. How do you reconcile those those different needs? Is it really just come down to the government's allocating space for affordable housing and, and that's like a social effort? Or is there a, another way that this can be incentivized? Because like you say, there's a tremendous need for affordable housing, but nobody seems to want to put their land up for affordable mm -hmm. housing. And, and you need the land first, right? Because these are not super high density uh, structures that you guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good point. And for our affordable housing units, we only construct using local labor, local materials, um, which helps us make sure we're doing what's best for the people of the area. So in terms of leaving space for just nature, um, leaving space for other community initiatives, 
that is really very important to do. And we don't see in our work uh, governments taking advantage of of that to build affordable housing units. It's mostly area already set aside for this type of community development. And they're just looking for someone to bring the funds, really, and then bring the connections, bring different type of... So when we're pitching them on our work, uh, other municipalities and people in charge of affordable housing within their country or area, it is you. It is typically land that is already reserved for families in need. And then in terms of acquiring privately owned land, this is land that, again, is residential in nature. And we also use land that is already owned by families in need, but they don't have the resources to build high quality homes. So those are those would be my three uh, takeaways. Yeah, so, okay. so it's a kind of combination of factors. Um, can we talk about the impact that this has on the families for a minute? What are the results that you see socio and culturally from the development work that you guys are doing with these homes? Like what is the long, longer term impact? Yeah, absolutely. So down in El Salvador, the community you actually visited, that community was constructed back in 2015. So families are six years from having received the gift of home. Um, for a lot of them, this is the first safe home they've ever lived in. Um, and they're absolutely thriving. Like some of them were uh, middle school, high school, and now they're getting law degrees. Um, they're going to college because they didn't have to focus on where they were going to sleep. They didn't get as sick as much because they weren't sleeping on mud floors. And the community itself, the homes itself, are the highest quality um, and they've survived. Um, even through our work in Haiti, where there's a natural disaster all the time, our homes are not structurally damaged from earthquakes or hurricanes, which we are super proud of. We have seen in our developments, uh, on average, a 63% increase on income. Uh, families are also able to generate and hold wealth, save up for bigger things, and they build on additional rooms, uh, additional uh, just extensions of the home we've built for them as their family grows. And because they don't have to worry about where they're able to sleep, they can focus on different things that help them thrive. So housing is just the foundation. Um, the UN put out a basically the results of a research study that they had. And housing touches on all 17 of their like initiatives. So all- Yeah, all like the, basically the 17 sustainable development goals. Yeah, which, housing touches on all 17. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's a pretty basic thing, right? It's, it's something that is impacted. From the community aspect, are there any particular stories of people that have really captured you from the impact that this housing program has had in terms of somebody being able to, you know, I remember we, there was a talk about uh, a young girl who had moved into one of these homes and is now be studying to become a lawyer. Yeah. And they, she wouldn't have had that opportunity if she didn't have the foundation of, you know, a safe home. 
Are there any other stories like that that you can point to? Yeah, I'll tell another one of uh, one of a, another one in El Salvador. Her name is Patricia. She had already been working on like a cafe type thing uh, while we were building there. She made lunches and everything for the families uh, of the construction workers, and uh, now she owns her own little shop that is very profitable. Um, it has enabled her to upgrade her interior of her home significantly. Her and her family are very just happy and proud, uh, able to save up a lot of money to do more stores. Like she wants to open up a second store as well. Um, and she's been able to run the first one directly out of her home. So when we constructed her home, she had these dreams. So we made her house with the intention of her opening a shop out of it. So one of her windows um, is more shop-like and it, it enabled her to fulfill her dream. And that, that's, that's our intention. Now, I understand that with these technology routes that you have from Y Combinator, that you even have an app. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, we have an app that we call Felix. It is a survey tool that allows us to keep track of how our families are doing. It allows us to process data uh, more efficiently. And um, we've been able to basically everything at New Story, we know we can't do this work alone. We know as an organization, we won't be able to reach 1.6 billion people by ourselves. So we share everything we learn. And we've been able to share this data tool with other nonprofits and for-profits who use it as well in their work, basically keeping track of how families are doing um, and keeping track of like their both before in our intake survey, before they received their home, and then throughout the process of living in their home for years. And I understand you guys have done over 2,300 homes around the world. Yep. Where are these most, you said they're in Latin America, but specifically, are they mostly in Mexico or, you know, how do you navigate so many different countries and their, their various political idiosyncrasies to be able to, to scale this? And what can you do? Are you using the same designs from place to place or do you target it um, with like in-house architects from one place to another? Yep. So each area is they're going to have different needs. So we build different homes in Haiti than we do in Mexico, than in El Salvador. Currently, we have built eight communities in Haiti, uh, five communities in El Salvador and six communities in Mexico. And we have uh, one community in Haiti under construction one community in El Salvador currently under construction, and then seven more in Mexico under construction for a total of almost 3,000 homes and 29 communities um, in those three countries. We have impact over, impacted over 11,000 lives at this point. But the, to, for the home numbers, that's about, uh, there's about 1,200 homes we've built in 750 are completed in Haiti, 350 are completed in El Salvador, and 200 completed in 
Mexico. And as we scale, our focus is on Mexico. So we have 700 nearly under construction in Mexico, um, about 300 unconstructed in Haiti, uh, and about 500 under construction in El Salvador. And Josh, you mentioned that solar is one of the things that, you know, innovations for clean energy that you're trying to bring into these things. Do you guys have a data strategy for getting data into the lives of these people so they can access um, digital services? And, and do you guys have a plan for thinking about digital services within the context of the physical geography of these communities? So our training, like, so we do initial training and we do kind of periodic training, but we partner with local organizations uh, that help the families more with things like finance or things like job opportunities. So we use local partners for this effect and to make sure families are, you know, being a true community, having access to other things beyond just a house. But our focus is on on the home building aspect of it. And then for the initial part of making sure families are repaying the homes. So in our work historically, it has been 100% philanthropy, but we have learned that families actually react better and want to pay for their homes in affordable amounts, 20 to 30% of their annual income. So they can actually pay off and they do buy out their homes uh, after a period of five to 10 years. Um, and now we are transitioning to a subsidized home where we are also gonna loan money as we scale. So we're gonna operate as the loaner um, and do half philanthropy and half a loan that families will repay back to us that we can use to do more affordable housing units in in their area and elsewhere. Um, just helping us scale using two different forms of financing. Right, uh, and I think for a lot of these people, this is maybe the first time they're getting access to finance tools or financing tools um, in their lives. How does that connect to the work that you guys are doing on the Bitcoin front, particularly in yeah. El Salvador? Because I believe that you guys are actually lending in Bitcoin? Yes, we are doing a first of its kind community to serve poorer families using Bitcoin as a repayment. Uh, so basically the community will be a first of its kind community that is financed completely in crypto and then uses Bitcoin for families to be able to transfer their payments. So what this is gonna unlock potentially is so currently, like you said, families don't have access to this type of financing, um, which is why we're proving the, this, that this loan process will work. In El Salvador specifically, over 80% of families are unbanked, so they don't have credit cards. Uh, they have to do any type of repayments with pen and paper, often having to walk for miles just to get to their nearest lender. Um, and those are for families who can even get loans. Often they're just completely declined. There's not a lot of interest in working with 
a low income class for for profits and they're they've been neglected and can often be taken advantage of so it's not uncommon to see up to a hundred percent interest rates charged to families uh especially on longer term loans which just isn't affordable isn't sustainable so we want to offer a an opportunity and access for affordable loans less than 15 percent um and less than uh 20 to 30 percent of their annual income to do this we're going to subsidize each home with philanthropy and then use bitcoin wallet tools for families to be able to transfer money legally and safely it can be digitally tracked 100 percent transparency and yeah we believe that Bitcoin can be a huge unlock for families who really need it. Uh, and it's also very beneficial for people with money. And we want to make sure it can be beneficial for people who currently don't have as much money. And by doing this, we hope to prove that one, families can pay back loans. Uh, two, that they can do so digitally with without a, too much of a hassle. And then they'll we'll be able to do this in our other communities as well. And Bitcoin can be a huge part of that. Um, with El Salvador leading the way and making Bitcoin legal tender, uh, we thought it was a perfect opportunity. Uh, El Zante area is already coined as Bitcoin Beach. Uh, families are being trained and use Bitcoin already. <laughs> we were able to actually buy coffee and buy smoothies down uh, in El Zante and the, the tiendas or stores are already comfortable with this process. Families are already on board in this area and have an understanding about how to use it. Um, so it, it will be a very good case uh, for other countries and in our other work to follow. So Josh, do you see the new story over time is evolving to be more than construction of these low-income homes, but also a kind of revolving finance mechanism to scale low-cost housing and innovations beyond um, the families that you're working with today? Uh, it sounds like you're kind of developing a second arm to the mm -hmm. charity. Is that is that right? Yeah, I'd say that's right. We are. We believe that in order to scale we'll need to use more than just philanthropy. Um, and we have a goal of housing a million people by the end of the decade. Um, to do that, we'll need to build about 225,000 homes. And that's gonna cost us about a billion dollars uh, with, our, with our estimate of how much each home will cost. And we're targeting to do about, you know, 600 million in philanthropy and then 400,000 in loans just to be able to to kind of hit this goal. To be able to scale, we'll need to do more than just philanthropy. We 100% believe that. So limiting the amount of philanthropy we use will be important. And then being able to reuse money. So like we'll get the loans paid back and then that's more money that we'll be able to put into new communities. Yeah. So, and it sounds like you, you have a third cycle of innovation coming through 
the material used in the development of the buildings themselves to find lower cost solutions like 3D printing. So it's the kind of social mission. There's like a kind of innovation side in terms of material. And then there's yep. like an innovation side in, in, in terms of finance that are bringing these all things, these things all together. I wish that we could be finding ways to drive this for more affordable housing within the United States as well, because it's not just in these poor countries. I mean, obviously the need is much more acute and the, the homes are, you know, going to be having a, a probably a larger impact on people in these, in these markets. But there are so many issues compared to uh, the subject or, you know, combined with the subject that go beyond just um, the material use or getting the land. Like you mentioned mm -hmm. in Mexico, there are socioeconomic issues, there are socio-cultural issues and or even just distance issues to, to be able to get to work or to a community that's livable. So as we wrap up here, I'm wondering if you could just share with us some of your thoughts about the big picture on this and mm -hmm. how people can help uh, New Story build your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dan. So to start big picture, we we would love more than anything to be able to help our direct neighbors, right? So our mission to be able to impact the lives of people domestically is completely in, in our realm of thought. We think about that constantly. Actually, when the pandemic happened and we had to pause construction internationally due to COVID, we did a rent relief process to keep families in need being able to keep and secure home uh, usage. So basically families that weren't eligible for government aid, we stepped in and funded their rent for a time. Um, and then we, we would love to do more work. Our focus is international work, but as we share everything we do, our hope is that people domestically take up some of our practices and do affordable housing as cheap and as efficiently uh, with integrity in the U.S. as well. Um, ways that, I mean, ways that people can help New Story with uh, our story and helping provide new stories to families in need would really, our website is uh, accepts donations. Um, that's the main way. Um, you can invest directly into home building um, using the donation. If you want to invest in operations, you can move the form and then click invest into our operations or our innovations. Basically, this is the type of stuff that funds the 3D printer or um, trying Bitcoin Beach uh, initiatives, things like that. And then the rest goes directly to home building. If you just donate directly, it goes to the families in need and the construction of that. Um, I'd say that's the main way and also sharing our work. So th thank you, Stan, for welcoming me on the podcast, um, but just more awareness to a global issue uh, in homelessness and lack of adequate housing it goes a long way got it thank you very much josh so that's josh young from new story building homes for the homeless around latin america thanks so much for the work that you and your colleagues are doing to um, help drive the world's 
progress toward the sustainable development goals. Obviously, adequate housing is one of the very important ones, but I love the fact that you mentioned that housing touches all of these goals in one way or another, and um, everybody needs a, a bed to sleep in. So thanks for joining us. I'm Stan Stoniker with Hub Culture for the Chronicles, over 50 episodes now talking about the future, innovation, climate, and many other subjects. You can find us on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen to them with Zeke, our artificial intelligence, right on hubculture.com. Thanks, Josh. We'll catch you soon. Thanks so much, Stan.